already from Wolf. Hey guys, it's Tate. Fault's over there. Hi, Fault. Hi. Though we did promise the brood that we would never invite you back because you're too pretty and smart and fun and they can't know that it's actually uh, you that they should be talking to. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, that's right. Tompkins is being a very good man, taking care of his sick mom and has to help set her up in her new house. So while he's off, you know, being good, uh, we today will be talking about one of our favorite movies. Fulton, what film did we watch for our episode? Uh, Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde. It's most of my classes this year. We just watched the movie over and over. <laughs> yeah, I know. Did Legally Blonde play any part in your decision to go to law school? Um, obviously, what woman doesn't go to law school without watching Legally Blonde? <laughs> I think is the real question. <laughs> I know. I, um, I went and visited Fulton in D.C., a few weekends ago. And first of all, her life rules, guys, you should really consider becoming a corporate lawyer because gosh almighty, does the skincare. The skincare products. Damn, do they I jump up in quality. so much better now that I have money. I know. Let me say that, yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's actually, it was so fun. Um, I got to go inside of Fulton shower and use absolutely every one of her products and come out and say, I want to wear your skin. And she gave me all of her fancy skincare products. And, and I then we did our makeup gorgeous. for two hours. Yeah. We showed tips and tricks on how to get rid of kind of like the darker crevasses, depending mm. on, for me, I, I'm quite jowly. You notice that that's not really your problem spot. Mm. What would you say your problem spot is on your face? Shadowing mm. wise. Mm. Oh, shadowing wise. I have a very, um, what's the word for the caveman people? Brow? Neanderthal. I have a Neanderthal brow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's really funny. Shockingly, not what I was gonna, thought you were going to say. <laughs> Thanks. What do you think is the worst part of my face? <laughs> I would have thought just because of the type of makeup we were doing that you would talk about the lines coming from your nose, the smile mm. lines. Yeah, you know, one those of the many bad parts of my face is the, the middle of my face. Parts. Yeah, exactly. And the forehead, yeah. <laughs> the center and the top and kind of all of it. But thank yeah. God you have money now. <laughs> I don't need to be pretty if I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, today we're talking about 2001's Legally Blonde. And and Brood, I hear what you're, what you're thinking. You know, it's like, is there anything to be said about this movie that hasn't already be, been said? And the answer is yes. There is so much. I did so much research on this thing. It's the, the history of this movie is even more delightful than the film itself, I would argue. Um, First, first thing that really jumps out, of course, is the is the screenwriting duo uh, who gave us this gorgeous piece of literature. I remember actually reading the novel, the original novel that the the source material written by Amanda Brown. Um, she, Book always better than movie, you know. In this case. Absolutely not. It turns out when you read it and you're eight and she's talking about sex in law school, it's like really sad. <laughs> it's like very depressing. She was very, she went to Stanford. And so in the, the original book, she originally was supposed to go to Stanford. Um, and they actually in the screenplay had that as well, but then Stanford didn't like the, um, uh, Stanford and U Chicago both said, actually, we don't like the way that you're painting law school. Uh, and we don't like the idea that one of our teachers sexually assaults our students. So no thanks. And apparently Harvard mm -hmm. was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a Cali girl by birth. You're an L Woods of sorts. 
Yeah, I was raised exactly like Elle Woods. When I watch her upbringing, I think that's, it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> Sorority girl at UCLA, mm-hmm. queen of everything. Uh, C-U-L-A. Um, UCLA did not like the sorority oh, Dixie yes. vibe. Yes. <laughs> the copyright name yeah. C-U-L-A. Um, <laughs> Yeah, very, very wealthy, really mm-hmm. good hair. A Coppola directed by Michelle yeah. Tate. Did you also submit um, a, a video essay to, to apply to law school? <laughs> I yeah. actually did. And I'm not joking. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Wait, you actually had kind of a crazy portfolio submission. What did you do? I painted a self-portrait. <laughs> as, <laughs> as I love you. Good. Fulton's actually secretly and not that secretly an incredible artist on top of everything else. So that makes sense that they were like, let's get this, let's get this chick in the mix. Well, they knew that talent would um, cross over yeah, exactly. to the law, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It only makes what sense. kind of law are you studying specifically? <laughs> like, what do you, do you guys have specific tracks? Is it like undergrad that way? for a JD? No, you just, there's no majors. There's nothing. You just take whatever fucking classes you feel like, which is what I'm doing. That's how I ended up doing a post-conviction habeas corpus class plus computer programming. So yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's post-conviction habeas corpus class? What does that mean? Um, it's after people have been convicted, you try and get them either out of their um, detention or try and get them to a lesser sentence than the death penalty. Oh, wow. So what we're doing is people on death row who've been convicted of a crime where their punishment is the death penalty. We're trying to get them to just essentially have life in prison. But I'm on the immigration team, meaning we find people detained by ICE who are either like legal citizens here legally, whatever, or anyone who has a habeas corpus claim. And we try and get them undetained by ICE because ICE just like picks up randos. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. A lot of research on like the border, how ICE just like grabs people and trying to, yeah. to get them out. But no um, classes on like perm law, like no, no, a few, that's yeah, the first year law. curriculum. That's the really important grades are first year and they're mostly yeah, yeah. about hair care, <laughs> the finite rules. As a Cosmo girl, we would know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I was top of my class. And let me tell you, I'm not top of my class when I got to habeas corpus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, here's some here's some fast facts about Legally Blonde. First of all, came out in 2001, which boy, does it look it with those colors and costuming. I love the entire aesthetic of this film. Um, Did it come out before or after 9-11? Before. That's why everything's so fun. Oh yeah, that's why she can fly exactly. into my airplane. All the airplanes. She famously drives across yeah. country in a Porsche Fulton. Don't confuse the brood. Um, if you remember, <laughs> well, the dog helped <laughs> yeah, her drive. Exactly. Yeah, right. Bruiser. He. She's. Yeah, they're both vegetarian Gemini's. You know. When we were watching that scene. <laughs> How can we quote so much of this movie? It's really there? actually pretty brutal. I've seen this I know. movie so it's many times. It's a delight every time too. And so I was doing some research. It was directed by someone named Robert Lukatic, And he's, you know, done a 
few kind of romantic comedy type things, The Ugly Truth, Monster-in-Law. He also did Killers, which is like the Ashton Kutcher, Katherine Heigl film, and, and 21, randomly. The few, I saw that. Yeah, 21 was fun back in the day. Rip Kevin Spacey. It was Spacey. with the guy from uh, Strawberry Fields. Yes, precisely. And Joe then Sturgis. his career, never saw that guy again. I know. I think it's because we found out he wasn't actually that good of an actor. <laughs> yeah, is that where he went? I think so. To, I mean, I'm trying to think, Maybe he's in law school now. He did that thing that like one day movie with Anne Hathaway where they see each other every day for once a year, once a year for a day. You know the one I'm talking about. I never saw that, but so is that an agreement they came to between themselves? Because that's nonsense. Why would they? Yeah, it definitely seems like maybe you guys, I can't tell where you guys land in terms of actually wanting to be friends or not. If you're like, we'll see each other for exactly one day a year. (laughs) Well, no, also, you know, they're saying around all year going like, why am I single? And it's like, because every fucking person you're dating, you see one date a year. (laughs) Idiot. The, the, uh, the, the amount of friends I wish I could say that too. I know, truly. Know? Oh God, that's so true. Um, so Robert <laughs> Lukatic, it was actually really funny. So he's this Australian dude who had never directed a feature length film before Legally Blonde. He caught the attention of Hollywood when he made this short with his friend called Tiziana Buberini, which is about an Italian checkout girl at a suburban supermarket who's ridiculed by her fellow employees for how hairy her upper lip is. And apparently this created real waves in Hollywood. And he like sat around for two years reading scripts and hadn't found anything that really suited his tastes, mm. I guess. And, uh, and so, yeah, this novel by Amanda Brown had come out, I think in like 97, and um, the the novel, yeah, it's very dark. I remember because my big sister doesn't famously doesn't read books, never has, never will. But uh, for a while, people were really trying to do that for her. They were really encouraging her by buying her, you know, kind of like cutesy books and they all became bathroom books which were the books I'd read when I was pooping because I had IBS when I was little Hell yeah! and um, Legally Blonde was one of them and I thought it was going to be a real romp because I loved the movie but actually it's uh, way more insufferable uh, than the movie without Reese Witherspoon playing Elle Woods, um, that character is noxious. It is an absolute, <laughs> she's a piece of shit. She like genuinely believes that she's prejudiced. Like, I mean, I think that there is, there's something to be said about the fact that we can watch this movie and not cringe the whole time with the premise being, you know what? Blondes face prejudice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she only says it once in the whole movie, which I can accept as long as she only says it once. Yeah, but- I know. Did you did you watch the fantastic Netflix film Tall Girl? No, it doesn't resonate with me. You're five ten. I understand. You're the literally their target it doesn't demographic. Resonate. Yeah, and also I watch only teen movies on Netflix. Um, yeah, <laughs> in that movie, this tall white blonde girl consistently explains to her black best friend what adversity is. And I thought mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes people need to hear it from those who know. Yeah, she knows because she's um, model thin and about six feet tall. So yeah, she's exactly. disgusting, as you can imagine. Yes. Yeah, everyone hates her. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently in the original, because they, they like had an original cut of the film of Legally Blonde that the ending did not make people very happy and I'm really glad they went or they decided to go How's with the graduation scene. The origin originally how the movie ends is first of all, she and Emmett, played by Luke Wilson, um 
kiss, have a victory kiss at the end of the trial, which, okay, ruins it because this is not a rom-com. It's like, it's a sweet idea that they do end up together because he's a sweet guy, but you don't want them to start dating immediately because that would reaffirm everything that makes Elle insecure. If the guy who believed in her immediately was like, okay, now we get to kiss though, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, but worse than that, um, apparently the there's like a flash forward to um uh, uh l and vivian who is now dyed blonde uh oh, i thought you were fa- just gonna say who's now died no who has now died <laughs> she had just dyed her hair blonde and they have founded like a blondes in law club at harvard oh god <laughs> but vivian isn't the real blonde i know i know and that's probably the the problem that everyone had with it um, i thought wasn't there an ending where she and vivian were um lesbians for each other well the the oh shit hold on my gain has been way too far up this whole time um okay so the audio is gonna sound really bad at the beginning good shit i want your podcast to sound like shit yeah when i'm on your podcast it sounds like shit yeah that can be your opener for this fucking show when i'm on the podcast it sounds like shit it truly does. You ready for Mills? It's gonna sound like shit. <laughs> uh, so apparently, it was never actually written, but it was tossed around briefly. The idea of the movie ending with Vivian and Elle in Mexico sipping margaritas. The implication being they might just be friends, but they might actually be together now. Wait, I kind of love that Mexico with margaritas. I know everything about it actually sounds pretty fabulous. Um, and uh, but the co-writers Karen McCullough and Kristen Kiwi Smith do, uh, do not uh, apparently they they say that that is that was never actually a proposed ending. It would be a very um, random feeling ending. I will say and, that. Yeah, it would feel shoehorned. No one would really understand it. But yeah, would twenty twenty one Gen Z love it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they were if they were writing for the future, maybe they would have had that kind of foresight. Um, but the the co the co writing team Karen McCullough and K- Kristen Smith are like the scusuku <laughs> baby sneezy grazie <laughs> um, uh, I'm sick I'm the one who's supposed to be coughing up a storm over here oh I'm sorry for uh, appropriating your culture right now yeah I know it's not a costume um, <laughs> I did so wear my sneezes but- as a costume today <laughs> <laughs> unabsorbed affectation so. This co-writing team of McCullough and Smith are iconic. They are the lady friends you wish you had. They're the minds behind 10 Things I Hate About You, Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, The House Bunny, The Ugly Truth, and She's the Man, mm-hmm. um, which is every like... Every movie a hit, one after the every other. Every one a hit. Absolutely defined a zeitgeist. It's insane, actually, that they aren't household names with all of those... I mean, I mean, those are huge fucking movies. I know. And huge cultural it's moments. It's because people don't take women writers seriously, I think. Because especially, I think, especially women, f- female comedy writers, right? Like, yeah, because those, all those movies are fucking funny and amazing. Yeah. She's a man's ludicrously funny. It's so I, good. I love it. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Oh my God, I know. And, um, uh, but yeah, when we were watching this movie, there was actually a lot of things that popped up for me watching it with you as we were crafting, um, cause fall was teaching me how to, how to crochet yeah, a tiny dinosaur. We did have dinosaur. a very feminine weekend. We crafted yeah, while discussing eating disorders. 
Yes. Then, then ate the whole pizza. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it really do be like that. <laughs> I did get a new mirror because I decided on Kate's recommendation to throw out my eating disorder mirror that warps yeah, your body yeah. to make you think you don't look how you look. And it was really stressing me out. Mm-hmm. So my eating disorder mirror is out in the garbage. Um, Hell yeah. And your new mirror is gorgeous. It's the one I have. Yeah. Yeah, I do like it's, it. It's it's really, really good. And yeah, it, it's really kind of crazy. This movie definitely brought up a lot of different things um, because when you start peeling back the story, the all of the major characters obviously are women and the way that they are interacting with each other and with the world around them is so heavily dictated by the prejudice and like expectations each of them in their varying socioeconomic and like demographic sectors deal with mm-hmm. um well also okay so i've been binge watching um gilmore girls lately yes. and there are a huge amount of very prejudiced gay jokes in that show mm-hmm. and i had a moment where i was like well maybe it was like a sign of the times whatever but then i think back to 2001 legally blonde that movie mm-hmm. l stands up for the queers. Elle is not yeah. here to be a bigot. And I yeah. think to myself, it wasn't a sign of the times because there were people out there thinking that wasn't okay. It's just, I've heard Amy Sherman Paladino isn't a very nice person. So yeah, I think that's probably the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you watch Legally Blonde, the overwhelming like power of Reese Witherspoon's performance does come down to what seems like a genuine it goes beyond likability, a kindness and an innocence to that character that she channels in a way that, that, you know, like there is a ridiculous, almost childlike, um, dorkiness to Elle as a character, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think is very much, uh, Reese Witherspoon channeling. I know that you have never seen any movies, Fulton, which is part of the problem. Uh, but she was actually for a long time, uh, typecast as the girl, Tracy, Swick, I believe her name is, um, that she plays inside of the movie Election. She's like a student body president, like a le- you know, like a, a a blonde, like type A, mm. uh, you know, like asshole. But people didn't think that she was going to be. Executives did not want to cast her as Reese as Elle Woods because they thought that she was too like uppity and unrelatable, which is ludicrous. But I think that what Reese Witherspoon did bring from that character was this sense of like. There's a dorkiness to Elle Mm -hmm. that is the product of her genuinely not fully processing how brave she's being most of the time. Um, Well, she underestimates (laughs) herself along with everyone else. My Romanian roommate's grandma has a phrase Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) that makes me think of Elle. It rhymes in Romanian, won't rhyme in English. But her grandma, (laughs) who is a very strong woman, whenever she someone doesn't approve of whatever she goes shut up and I'll do what I want and I kind of feel that like rhymes. that's Elle's vibe a little bit is <laughs> Romanian grandmother you know yes as Romanian grandmother and 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 you pointed out Fulton actually that like there is zero way that that character could get away with even that mentality if it wasn't so if her lack of cruelty wasn't so obvious. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they could not have written her mean whatsoever. Cause there'd be no sympathy for someone that beautiful. Also smart. 
who's a mean, no, you gotta have an obscenely kind person. And I liked what you have brought up. I had never thought about her best friend is someone who's a much lower education level, much lower, like socioeconomic class woman who's a nail stylist. And it's because Elle is kind. She's not looking to network or use people for gains. She thinks Claudette, is that her name? Paulette? Paulette. Paulette. Mm -hmm is a good person and befriends yeah. her, which as someone in law school right now is actually rare. The amount of people yeah. who are like, I'm going to that Halloween party as a networking opportunity is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was kind of the thing that stuck out the most was obviously like watching it now in 2021, my, my lens on these things has shifted slightly. And as a person who's like now, uh, the uh, poor friend to a lawyer. Uh, definitely very Paulette. aware. I'm your Paulette. You're, my Ivy League educated friend is just yeah. like Paulette. Yeah. But there is an element of like realizing that that's the, the, the thing that is really a, a core tenant of all of this prejudice that, that Elle is dealing with is classist shit, mm-hmm. you know? Like she's nouveau riche. She's Beverly Hills. She has no uh, gravitas to her. She's Bel Air. You're right. She's Bel Air. You're right. She grew up across the street from Tori Spelling. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) That's how you know she's made it. (laughs) Exactly. And, um, And so, yeah, realizing that when she, the first person she connects to is another woman via like femininity and vulnerability and like love of dogs, like these very wholesome and true kind of like core values of a lot of female relationships. And she finds it in a middle-aged nail technician, Mm -hmm. you know? um, Yeah. She's not out here bonding over con law. Like (laughs) women bond over doing their hair, which is why I think law school should have more female oriented situations. They should have more perm classes. I will say at law school, sometimes law firms want to like win over students to see if they'll apply for jobs at their law firm. So at my law school, you'll show up and be like X, Y, and Z law firm has donated uh, massage chairs for the next two weeks. If you want to use a massage chair. That's so, awesome. Female oriented activities in the law firm. <laughs> I think so. Yes, please. Women rising up the rigs. Yeah. And, and something that I was thinking about while I was uh, getting ready for the, for the record today was kind of going through, because obviously the fashion design in this movie is, is amazing. straight iconic. Sophie DeRaykoff, who she actually has worked a lot with recents, oh, you know, cute. like from everything from like Sweet Home Alabama to like, you know, her current The Morning Show thing that she's doing for Apple Plus. It's very cute because they became very good friends um, bonding over girly shit. You know, I think that the they were talking about hair. That is what we did all weekend when you came to visit. <laughs> I know it ruled. It was so fun. <laughs> I know we talked so much. Bolton and I talked so much that we were both exhausted whenever we went to the bathroom and had to figure out why. And it was like, oh, it's because this is the first time my mouth has not been moving for the past 36 hours. Yeah, it was talking <laughs> nonstop. Uh, it yeah. was so much fun though, but I was so tired. Yeah. The amount of time it took to get through Legally Blonde because of how much we were talking. Was <laughs> yeah, it was a five hour movie. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, looking through kind of the costume design and the, thinking about kind of the major characters who kind of fuel the plot throughout this whole movie, you have obviously Elle, then you have Selma Blair's character, Vivian Kensington, who's posed who at the beginning as... Who I famously apparently look alike because I have brown bit, hair. But that's just, you have brown hair. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. You're, you're a patrician beauty, certainly. But like overall, I would say you're much more, uh, what's Shoshana? Yeah, you're much more bruiser. Yeah. Who, Shoshana from Girls, what's her, what's that? Mamet, something Zosia Mamet. Mamet. Zosha, I think it's probably Oh, Zosha, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, I, I got so. stopped the other Zosha day Mamet. getting a COVID test. The dude looked at my ID and said, you look like, and I said that girl from Girls, and he was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great look. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I don't think I really see Selma Blair other than that you have dark hair. Um, but there, you know, so so Vivian Kensington posed as this uh, antagonist. Um, then we have uh, um, Jennifer Coolidge, obviously, as Paulette. Mm-hmm. The and greatest casting choice of maybe the entire incredible. movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And then Allie something or other who plays um, Brooke Wyndham. And, um, and, and also another female character that I think can be added to this conversation is Linda Cardellini who plays oh my God. Uh, Brooke Wyndham's stepdaughter Chutney? who lest we forget her name is Chutney uh, it's one of my <laughs> favorite details in the whole movie is that her the rich girl's name is Chutney they were like Chutney what Wyndham. celebrity funny name and they were coming you know <laughs> apple blanket that's <laughs> Chutney is so good. Chutney is so good. It's so, it's so close to exactly the kind of name that that person would have. I also love the huge dork like who uh, was deworming orphans in Somalia, mm. uh, that his name's David Kidney. Yeah, David Kidney. <laughs> He's a good one too. Every, yeah, that's a great name. I love the lesbian in that movie. She's yeah, so good. Enid, we- Enid Wexler yeah, is the they character's They gave her clearly name. a ridiculous like kind of gay name. And then... Very gay, very Jewish-like vibe. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I can say and, that because I'm a queer woman. I feel like I should like lead with that. Usually. Yeah, yeah, that's um, very true. That's why I can say her name's kind of gay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, also I didn't realize this, but when it, I was reading through some interviews with Amanda Brown, who wrote the book and she, the, the, she was talking about the first time she went, cause she was like a blonde who went to Stanford, who loved fashion and girly shit and like real felt life? very, yeah, in real life. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that's the that's the origin story of this whole movie is that the the author of the book was a blonde who went to Stanford and who felt very othered. What's her name? Amanda Brown. Amanda Brown. And um so she her like the inciting incident for her was going to this like women in law meet up and she's like oh this will be fun we'll like bond we'll like talk about hair it'll be like a fun time and she's like actually that's not the vibe at all everyone was so angry and was taking themselves so seriously and apparently it was very real the suggestion that some that they that stanford changes change their phrase for a term from semester to ovester <gasps> was a real thing that she heard on campus Wait, like her I first week in that. school i know <laughs> Is that really the etymology of semester? I mean, yeah, of course, in some ways, like seminal and yeah, all of it is, is semen. Ovester. I think that's very true. I love that. Um, 
So yeah, so like, you know, people are fucking ridiculous and they deserve to be made fun of. Apparently another fun little thing from Amanda Brown was that uh, she did actually in the end when she turned in her manuscript when no one was interested in it, she eventually turned it in uh, on pink paper and then all of a sudden everyone in the movies was like, I see the vision. And so then they put a nod of that to that in the movie. When so she's the like, author when is she puts smart, even though the book wasn't quite as good as the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I get the feeling that the, and I'm sure the book was, I read it as like a 10 year old who didn't like that in the book. Actually, she does sleep with Warner like behind Vivian's back or whatever. Do, and like, she and Vivian, do they still become best friends? I don't think so. No, they're like that whole kind of like the, the feel good. This is a story of believing in yourself. Even when the whole world tells you you're ridiculous, like that is very much a part of the movie. That's not a part of the book. Mm. Another lame thing was that in the book, she doesn't show up to the, uh, to the party inside. Uh, first of all, the party is a costume party in the book, which is lame. And then, uh, but she dresses slutty and no one else does, but her slutty isn't in a pink bunny costume. Her slutty, she's like a gothic witch with like black. I lipstick. kind of love that. A gothic yeah. witch. It's very when I was not 10. L. I didn't, it's very not L. Yeah. Well, the L that was constructed for L woods is definitely not Amanda Brown. It no. feels like, right. No. Like this is a construction of, of kind of feminine delight and kind of who we hope represents that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that mentality. Um, but the, the going back to what I was saying about each of those like main female characters is that each of their motivations, first of all, makes total sense and totally resonates as like a realistic thing. All of the female characters are very grounded in the reality in which they find themselves. Um, and it's interesting to realize that each of their character motivations is directly tied to like their status as a woman in whatever world they occupy. So you have Elle Woods who no one takes seriously because she's blonde and has big boobs and is overtly feminine and that scene is weak. But you also have Selma Blair's character, Vivian Kensington, whose like whole currency to Warner is the fact that she's like this self-serious uh, pedigreed prep that like, you know, her, her value is established in kind of like the fact that you're not L Woods. And so, you know, having someone who's so obviously like friendly and awesome and bubbly and smart come into Harvard and try and get her boyfriend back, like it kind of makes sense that <laughs> Vivian Kensington would react poorly, even if she is awful to her. Oh, if I was Vivian, I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> I'd be that's, so pissed. I, that's genuinely a psycho <laughs> move of L. It's fucking weird. It's fucking yeah. weird. It's fucking weird. <laughs> and it insults how much work it, it, I feel like I would assume okay, not only did you do this fucking psycho thing to try and get back with my fiance, you also got into Harvard to do it, which is like my thing. Well, I think that's why the audience (laughs) can then accept Vivian because the audience is like, yeah, "Yeah, that was fucking weird of Elle to do. (laughs) So like we get the why you can come back around and be her friend, but we're not mad at you for being mad initially. Anyone would be, I would at least be like somewhat creeped out. You know, I would hate Elle. I would hate her. She's gorgeous. It's a completely psychotic thing to do. It's a completely psychotic thing to do. You also have um, Paulette, who's obviously trapped in like being a woman who's aging, you know, and and who isn't like, you know, this typical type of beauty. And for that reason, has lost everything and has been shuttled to the side and the margins of like everyone's life where she was thrown out of her own house by her partner 
I'm sure that most people do not treat her with the respect that Elle does at her job. Uh, And then you have like Brooke Wyndham, who is this high powered, like self-motivated entrepreneur who everyone shits on because they assume that she's a vapid gold digger because she married someone that they saw as only being able to exploit her and in no way actually see her merit or worth. Mm -hmm. And so like, and then even a fucking Chutney whose whole thing is like, yeah, I'm really fucking pissed that my father married someone my age. Uh, as like, that's puts gross. It, I thought it was you coming through the door. <laughs> <laughs> like each of these women are trying to navigate a, a world that is not friendly to them and are expressing those frustrations in different ways. And the thing that makes Elle our protagonist is the one that sh- is the fact that she is one who is not victimized nor victimizing when she's trying to navigate finding her own power again. Um, who of, of all the wardrobes, which one would you steal? I know. I was just thinking that one, I love every outfit Paulette wears too. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Her socks, <laughs> sandal, platform sandal combo. Yes. Um, I really like the outfit when Elle goes to watch the boys play like football and she's like, Hey yeah. boys. And she sits down with her fluffy pen and like her glasses yeah. and bruisers sitting next to her. I would take that outfit so the sparkly bikini and pink fur coat that she wears in October in Boston. I know. I love it. I love it. Everything about her screams amazing. I want her whole wardrobe. I would wear it all. Yeah. Though. I don't know. I really do love Brooke Wyndham's looks. They are like prison. I don't, scrubs no not her i mean her prison scrubs her prison scrubs is a hilarious phrase i don't know her what else to scrubs, call them her, her her prison uniform her prison jumpsuit well not all prisoners wear jumpsuits a lot of them wear like what looks like doctor's scrubs and i don't know what we call them I mean, prison scrubs yeah prison i've been calling them prison scrubs so the thing that she uh the thing is that whenever she does turn out a look whenever she's not literally in her orange like prison scrubs she is not hiding the fact that she's a fucking bombshell she's wearing like deep v's she's wearing tight little halter dresses like everything that would make you think that she murdered her husband Mm. which i think is so flamboyant and so fun (laughs) what does what's Elle's line again whoever said that orange is the new pink is seriously disturbed yes exactly because she's saved uh, Cameron Diaz from buying a seriously horrendous Angora at Mar- sweater. <laughs> what, Siegel? Um, Fred at, J- Siegel? at Fred Siegel's. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is, let's talk about the depth of that and then Mel buys an, Mel, uh, L buys an orange MacBook. What do you think that means? No, I know. I know. I thought about that too. I was like, they didn't get her pink MacBook. And a part of me is like, maybe they didn't have them. But also it's like the orange that we see, we see orange Orange is only bets like mentioned twice, once verbally and once not. And once is when she says orange is not the new pink. And the second is with the orange jumpsuit that yeah. Brooke Wyndham wears. Not to sound like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Orange only really shows up in the prison jumpsuit and the MacBook. <laughs> Thoughts. And uh, I think we should discuss this much further. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Brood, sound off in the comments if you can give us some ideas about what that might mean. Um, but it is, it, it, I, I really do love the fact that even down to Enid Wexler, like she as a gay woman gets so much shit in her life. Mm. So her shittiness towards Elle, her resentment towards like, oh, of course, the only way to be a woman is the hyper feminine kind. Like every woman is 
angry on some level about the way that the world treats them for the way they're choosing to be a woman in this space. Um, and th- that's just like a gorgeous tap- tapestry that they weave throughout this entire narrative. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Elle is a, a true icon. I follow a Facebook group that's like Elle Woods, like, what is it? So, like socialist icon or something. It's about Truly. Ellen is so kind to everyone <laughs> and clearly just like a socialist who wants everyone to be like good to each other and accepting of all people. And the Facebook group just makes memes about like serious political issues right now, but with Elle Woods being like black lives do matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I completely buy it, you know, like, cause that's, that I think is the thing that it stuck out was like, Oh, here, one of the most obvious, like we said, one of the most obvious examples of Elle not buying into the systems that are being shoved down her throat at Harvard is her becoming best friends and spending the holidays with Paulette. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is more, that was a more powerful choice than I realized growing up. Um, and it is, uh, <laughs> and that bend and snap scene. That's so good. Oh, boy. And you see people of all races and genders getting and into sizes the bend, yeah, and, and sizes age. and age mm-hmm. getting into the bend and snap and i think they deliberately chose a group where they were like see we can represent everyone via the everyone bend and can snap. bend and snap no i you are so right like it, it is absolutely the only diverse scene inside of the entire movie yeah, it is. in many it's ways it's the only time you, know? you see anyone of color whatsoever is the bend and snap scene yeah. And so it's like, and, and so there are fun, a couple of fun things. This is mostly just me telling you everything I read about right before we started recording. Oh, but I will say there is a black female judge in this movie, which I think that's true is an attempt at being diverse, but I have read about how there's a lot of people who are like, there's more black female judges in movies than have ever existed in America. I guess the movie's yeah, like trying definitely. to be woke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, the, it, it, that character is very much put in there for the aesthetics of it. Yeah. Though it probably does make a huge difference on some so level in this specific movie. Do you know? It's representation as small as it is, but it's also, it goes back to seeing how each of the female characters in this world are interacting with the roles and positions that they find themselves in, you know, like the authority, the the position, like I think having a female judge was a really important thing. And I'm really glad it wasn't just another white woman, even though it feels kind of like a half-assed attempt at, you know, to have not a single, like I think she's the only speaking black character. I mean, I think in the entire movie, the only like not 21st century or 20, 2021 woke level Moma is when Elle assumes that men don't know shoes and she's like, he's gay because he knows my shoes are Prada or whatever, which is like, yeah. to be honest, kind of forgivable for the time period, especially when, because Elle is such a like queer supporter in this movie. You're like, okay, I can see it on this one very 2001 moment. Yeah, it definitely felt like in the, cause, cause I also like, I, I stumble over that moment a lot too these days because on some levels, like the truth is that I think it probably speaks or at least was intended to speak at the time to the fact that like to Elle, people are visible to her mm-hmm. and people who are living lives and how they live their lives are visible to her. Right. Like she doesn't, on some level, it's like a lack of whitewashing, perhaps mm-hmm. the fact that like, Oh, this person is interacting with the world in a slightly different way that I can pick up on because of my specific way of navigating the world with this hyper femininity. 
and like my ability to register that and register this person as more complex than we're probably painting him as like that there's an argument to say that that's where they were going but it to, but it is so obviously like <laughs> these days the idea of someone even saying you have a boyfriend so it's impossible for you to fuck the woman yeah. you know like is ludicrous yeah it's hilarious <laughs> and i think and we the never movie get a motivation in, from him no no it's a very succinct and easy way to like dispel his alibi like whatever whatever and i tried to think of other ways the movie could have done that that quickly while also showing a predecessor for when l gets the hair thing in the end i think yeah. there would have taken a few longer moments like there that is the quickest and easiest way to get all that information out there the more i thought about but it definitely wouldn't fly very well nowadays it just doesn't answer anything and i still don't know what the pool boy's motivation for lying was. Like, was he in it I think with he was Chutney? getting paid off or something by Chutney. Yeah, but I mean, I would have liked that loophole to be Oh, yeah, I up. think once they dispelled his lies, someone else probably would have been like, why were you lying? Was Chutney paying you? That probably would have solved the case pretty fast. Even just, yeah, <laughs> even just a line at the end in the final little monologue with Elle grilling Chutney about everything. Like, she couldn't have been like... And is that why you paid off the pool boy? You know, like, you know, some way, you know, like tying his character in. So he wasn't just the butt of the, of a gay joke, yeah. which is kind of what that character ended up being. Yeah. And as, excuse me, butt of a gay oh, joke. Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Kate loves her little double on top. It's true. Um, Only gay people talk about butts. We all know this. It's uh, 2021. Wake up, sheeple. Pussy alert. Bussy <laughs> <alert>. <laughs> new segment of milf at the end you do a bussy alert for where the bussy, bussy is in that movie yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you say this movie's bussy is um <laughs> what would you say the bussy is what the bussy is um yeah of this movie i think for sure the bend and snap scene mm-hmm. is the bussy yeah we gotta get back to the bend and snap scene because i got some hot deets for you you want to get back so, to the bussy I need to get back to the bussy yeah. of this whole, the bussy of, the, there, of it all. friend. I'm going to get into this bussy real hard. Oh, and yeah. so first of all, I didn't know about this. This whole scene is choreographed by Tony Basil. Who? So Tony Basil, you know Tony Basil as a person who sings, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're oh. so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. The right? only choreographer I know is Kenny Ortega from the High School Musical movies. <laughs> and if you told me he choreographed the scene i believe you i know (laughs) i believe me too i believe it too but tony basil is a really fascinating kind of feminist character in and of herself so she you know made it big this mainstream success with this one-off hit um hey mickey right that everyone knows bring it on similar era right like tony basil was kind of a very big thing going on or resurgence of her of her song was very big at that time and but Tony Basil is um, a conceptual artist and she's like a performance artist. And so her thing, you know, like when you watch her music video for Hey Mickey, when she's doing her whole cheerleading thing, like she is approaching it as like an avant-garde artist. She David, dated David Byrne of um, the Talking Heads for like Ooh, forever. I like the Talking yeah, Heads. I love the Talking Heads. But, you know, like she's that kind of, she's like, a, she's this really cool kind of feminist avant-garde person who packaged herself as I'm a cheerleader and sold like, you know, a hugely iconic record with that. And so for her to be the person who actually choreographed the bend and snap, I think is very, just a fun little homage to like the subversion of femininity in certain ways. Yeah. Um, 
but apparently, so um, the, the the bend and snap was not a part of the original script. <gasps> but, yeah, this is an but addition. The bend and snap is like it's one of the most iconic moments of the whole movie. Yeah, Reese says it's the number one thing that people still ask her to do. The, She's she like, people are gonna have to do it. I don't know if she still does it for people. People still ask her to do it. I would say like, ah, my back's bad now. I, I mean, it's been so long. It's been 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I don't know if I want to do the bend and snap in front of strangers. Yeah, I know. But that being said, one of the funniest things to me about the bend and snap is that it's not that hot. No, it's hilarious <laughs> the way she it's snaps ridiculous. it back up and like kind of grabs her boobs afterwards. It's so yeah. But she does this like these little the puppy, puppy dog hands, hands around her boobs. She brings she them up bends and puppy dog. Hands. Yeah, it's so funny. I think that's why it's so good. It's not that sexy, and she's going on about. She's like, any man would just ask you out after this insane move. This insane move, and the and yeah, and I love the little homage to the gay hairdresser coming out and saying, "Oh my god, the bend and snap works every time." I know. The idea of it being like a thing in this world is really fun. Yeah, the but yeah, the craziest homage. thing. The The craziest thing about the bend and snap is the fact that it's not hot. It's weird. And to me, that is so much of what Elle does Mm -hmm. is like, she's just so charming and confident that like, of course, on some level, a woman bending over is hot. But even the way she's like her snap is weird. (laughs) And she, I don't know if you know, she does a little like football change when she does it. Her feet switch places. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny and bizarre. (laughs) And then everyone doing it and they all kind of have their own flair on it. Um, And so how this whole thing came to be was they were looking for a B plot for Paulette, right? Mm -hmm. Where she is, um, you know, this huge, she's like, Elle's best friend in this world. They, she gets a lot of screen time, but for a long time, they didn't really know what to do with her character or like how to, um, you know, kind of make her active, give her her own plot. And so for a while they were brainstorming like, well, maybe the, the salon's broken into and Elle has to help her litigate it or something. And The salon's but, broken into, that would but be, yeah, like, I would watch that. <laughs> but they were saying that like, it was so, like it was just kind of tonally weird yeah. and she horned in. And so then at, uh, the two the two writers, McCullough and, and Smith were like, at a bar drunk one night brainstorming. And they were like, well, what if they try and help her get the UPS guy? And then one of them was like, okay, what if she does like this thing? And then she went and she's drunk and she's in the bar and she practiced and she does a bend and snap. And she's like, what if she teaches her this? (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing that came to mind. That is is how it happened. Literally, she said, yeah, Smith explains, it was a spontaneous invention. It was a completely drunken moment in a bar. Um, uh, Yeah, and so then, yeah, the director later adapted the bend and snap move into a dance number for the film because that's what it is it's, it's a, a dance, random yeah. dance number but what i also think is hilarious could you imagine in real life someone saying i dropped my pen reaching down for it and standing up like that you'd be like what the fuck did you just do why are you walking like that like it's so funny it's not sexy at all it's genuinely confusing i know it's confusing it's disorienting the bend and snaps true no power idea. is how disorienting it is yeah i love that they would be like i want to hit on that girl who just did that really confusing thing <laughs> Picking up a pen like that, grabbing your boobs after you pick it up. Well, that's the thing is that, and I think this goes back to Tony Basil as like a concept artist and choreographer kind of getting it too, where it's like what you're mostly noticing, it's disorienting because like uh, it, 
it starts in a way that makes you think this is for the male gaze. And then it ends in a way where it's like, I guess you could say that's sexual, (laughs) but in like, it's really hard for me to feel that right now because I'm mostly confused by why you just did what you did. Well, the best part is when (laughs) Paulette then breaks the UPS driver's nose with her snap and she goes, (laughs) Elle, my snap was all over the place. <laughs> oh, he's so good. I love this movie. It's so I love this good. <laughs> and it's exactly um, what law school is like with nothing in between. The first year yeah. you litigate famous murders, <laughs> it's a totally normal thing. They're being litigated in Boston for some reason. These famous murders. Don't ask yes. why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think the Wyndham Fortune, the Wyndham Mansion, was in Massachusetts. If I were to. Uh, guess I guess the, if she's a famous yeah. TV star, you'd think this would be a Los Angeles case, but I, that's what I'd say. But I think that she, that's the thing is that she's a favorite, famous, like aerobic, the aerobics teacher, you know, like made her fortune that way, aromatherapy teacher. But if she married like a stuffy East coast, old school, wealthy guy, mm-hmm. then like, yeah, he'd have a mansion in, in Massachusetts, I guess. Um, but the, uh, so point denied. I saw you volley it and I spiked it right back down. Oh, babe, um, that's called a hit, not a spike in volleyball. I, oh, that's true. I forgot that you played volleyball shows, for a very long your time. shows and it's embarrassing. <laughs> you played collegiate volleyball. I did for a year yeah. as b Were you good at it? No. No. No, that's why I quit. <laughs> I was high school captain, went to college, b never even played a real game on the court my whole season. Hell yeah. Nice. And it wasn't even like, I mean, did Kenyon have a good volleyball team? No, no. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's rough. (laughs) Very questionable situation. Uh, Uh. It's fine. Made some friends. It's all I really needed. Um, Never bent and snap the whole time, which is why I quit the team. It's probably, yeah, it's probably, you know, it's probably why you didn't do that well on the team. Well, because I was Um, mostly bending and snapping in the front row ready to hit. And everyone was like, you're missing the ball. And I was like, my snap is all over the place. (laughs) What time do you have on your recording device right now? How long have you been recording? 20 minutes. Um, For the second recording. Yeah. So 50 minutes total. 20 minutes on the second. Okay. Okay. I started to record. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I forget. I forget what was the point. Um, it's just a really good movie and it's really funny. Um, and oh yeah, I just want to make the point. I think you and I could write a screenplay on this level and I'm not joking. That's really sweet. And I don't think you're wrong. No, I think so too. I think that there's so many not screenplays. Not to take your podcast this. and make it a project that we should start together. <laughs> yeah, this is but literally, full, this is Tompkins' worst nightmare. <laughs> that we then start our own project yeah. together outside of our close friendship. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Top and I are also starting our own project of life together. That's true. You guys very much have a, a very... I'm not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, I know. That's, not, that's what that sounded like. <laughs> that's what I thought. I mean, getting a house. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the true baby is a house. It always. Um, yes, but I, do I think you and I could write a great screenplay when we have time and we're both in New York? 
yeah, easily. I think we could write something fucking dope. I yeah. could think we could write the next She's the Man. We could write the next mean She's Girls. the Man. Hey, Brood, we, I think sound we could off. write a movie like Mean Girls. I think we could write, yeah. So Brood, sound off. Fulton and I are a dynamic duo. We're ready to take on the iconic female screenwriting canon. So please let us know if you have any suggestions and or um, ideas for plots for our oh, for sure. upcoming screenplay. And I don't think this is hubris. I think we no, could I, really kill it. Hey, hey, honey, you know I believe I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, I know you are funny. You are too. And I know how to type. I know you're so good at all that <laughs> legal stuff. Um, I know how to type real good mm-hmm. and I have a printer. I know. Oh so my God, a match made in heaven. To die for. To quote another iconic female penned uh, uh, comedy movie. Um, I came up with post-its and you came up with the idea to turn, to make them yellow. I don't know what movie that is. Cause I've never seen a movie, but okay, I love Fulton, that. the next time we do this together, the next time you and I watch a movie to talk about, it has to be Rowing Michelle's high school reunion. It is, you will love this movie. I'm sure I will. It has Lisa Kudrow in it. <gasps> Phoebe? Phoebe. It's got freaking Phoebe in it. It's so it's good. It's got freaking Phoebe. Yeah. Um, so before, as we wrap up, because I know you have dinner in a little bit, um, things we would like to fix about this movie. Do you have a, do you have a thing in your mind when, when fix? Oh, no, you have to go first as an example for okay. this. So for me, the, the fix that I thought I, that I wanted, that I, I really actually feel very strongly about is um, I wish that there had been some, a, a more explicit conversation resolution and friendship to result from the L versus Enid Wexler dynamic. I think that Enid Wexler as the queer character is a queer female character in this, in this project, like represented a lot of questions that I think that Hollywood at that time was a little too scared to get into. Cause you know, it is complicated because this movie is powerful and what it's saying in believing in yourself, no matter what people are expecting of you and doing it in this like bubblegum pop fun way. But of course it's also, she is a blonde rich girl going to Harvard and facing prejudice, right? Like this. So, so grounding it too much in reality probably would have taken the tone in a different direction. But are you saying this movie wasn't grounded in heavy reality? <laughs> what I am saying is Wait, that, what? you know, well, Enid Wexler, the character, when she's like, well, oh, is that before or after you called me a dyke behind my back? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like the the vitriol that Enid Wexler gives towards Elle is so potent throughout the whole movie. And that one line kind of is that is that fissure, that break that makes you realize like, oh, fuck, that's right. In most narratives, L is the bully who makes people feel lesser than, especially probably queer women who don't subscribe to performing the femininity that she does, you know, like creating, I think that, like we said, like Elle's power is that she never pits herself as the way to be and everyone else is wrong. But it makes sense that Enid would feel that she was coming in with that energy. And the, you know, Enid is one of the um, first year interns that Callahan takes on for, for the, you know, there were a lot of opportunities to not just, you know, like mend and, and create a new relationship with Vivian, but another with Enid. And it would have been nice to see all three of them become close friends and kind of represent these different relationships towards femininity and womanhood inside of the legal world. And 
you know, like in the end, we kind of have this implied resolution with Enid clapping really hard for her when she's a speaker at the at the graduation. But I would have liked Enid to, you know, she has some great lines when she's talking about getting a PhD at Berkeley and the history of combat <laughs> or in gender Focusing studies. Focusing on women. Focus, yeah, in, uh, in gender and yeah. in, in women's studies, <laughs> emphasis history on the history of, of combat, combat <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and then, of course, she's the one who has to, the, the lesbians against drunk driving and the Ovester. Oh, I forgot lesbians against <laughs> drunk driving. Yeah. Like she's got these fucking killer lines. And of course that character, especially like if there, it is, ha- if this movie did have any sense of reality is the one who more so than Vivian is going to feel othered, outsized, ostracized. Like she's the one who would be shat on by Elle. Yeah. And so but what makes Enid a standout character, even though she's a pretty minor character mm-hmm. is that as like a queer woman watching this, like she stands out to me because she is probably one of the most realistic characters in the whole movie. Like I am Enid. I know people who are just like Enid too, where they're like, yeah, if you look at my resume, it's actually like, pretty ridiculous how good it is. <laughs> yeah. It's so extra. Like, it's over yes, the top. yes, we hear you. Yes, that's right. She happens to fall in love with a cis straight dude. Okay, this is like the first time though, mm-hmm. okay? Fulton's got real queer credentials. It's not her job to prove it mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. Fuck off. As my resume would show yeah, if exactly. you were able to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so many queer people are so much like Enid, where all your academic studies are based around that. I mean, literally next semester, I'm taking gender and sexuality, mm-hmm. a queer identities practicum, and then a third class on women and gender in the law, I think. Hell yeah. That's my semester. Oh, a parody of yourself. I fucking love it. I know. I am Enid and I love <laughs> You really are. You absolutely are. I mean, it was, that was, that I remember because I went to Barnard, right? So like, I remember. Very Enid. Very Enid. The whole campus is Enid. And so like, I remember memes of Enid being spread around like the Barnard groups a lot because she really spoke to a truth of the, of large swaths of women. And so for me, the resolution or like the bonding between Vivian and Elle is important, but I really think that if she and and Enid had been able to bond over womanhood, even though they're on kind of diametrically opposed um, uh, levels of like performing femininity, that would have been like incredibly powerful. So to me, that's the major fix for, it would be like have Enid be a real character whose problems as a queer woman in 2001 Harvard, her being a fucking, she's a joke to everyone else, right? Like she's the butt of the joke as like the queer angry feminist, you know? But I want more any of the writers queer because it's so... It's so, it's a joke of herself, but it doesn't feel like it's making fun of the queer community. It feels almost like it's in on the joke. Like it feels very real, especially that they chose Berkeley as the school that she gets her (laughs) degree from. Like everything about her is so funny. I currently know a queer woman at Berkeley right now. Like it's just like everything about it is so funny to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I love her. I don't know if either, if either of this uh, co-writing team were queer, but I, they definitely treated that character with respect. And I think that they did throughout the entirety of the piece. Um, which is, which is why like she feels real enough and she's inside the internship with Vivian and, and Elle. 
get those three as like a power crew together, you know? Well, you know why I feel like the writers weren't making fun of her? Because when she turns to Elle and says, you know, you should have called me a dyke or whatever. And Elle says, I would never use that word. Yeah. That's when you feel like the writers weren't just making fun of queer people. They just are like, this is kind of just the fun lesbian character that a lot of people might see themselves in, but it's not to be like cruel, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and Enid sticking up for herself in that moment made, I mean, it, it was like hard to see her be so shitty to Elle, but then when she gives that background is like, oh, was that before or after you called me this horrible thing and, and like treated me with prejudice and made me feel outside and otherized this way that everyone else on campus does, like, it made again, like it made her feel very real. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, in my in my dream rewrite, the three of them become like a power puff girl situation. We'll have to rewrite the sequel to Legally Blonde that I saw in an airplane as a kid. Oh, uh, Legally which, Blonde, Red, White, and Blonde. Yes, yes. Yeah, the incredible <laughs> concept just from the name <laughs> showing through. Well, apparently, <laughs> Mindy Kaling and some guy named Dan Gore, I think, is uh, are are writing a third one uh, for. 2022 so honestly I, I was going to bring up in the podcast that isn't there a movie about bruiser having a love interest but then i realized i think that's beverly hills chihuahua no no no. that is that is and i believe if i recall because i also have not seen red white and blonde in many 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 years i believe a major part of the plot is that bruiser is gay and he's gay in love with one of the um uh like with a kind of southern congressman's dog and and like they, they, they kind of reach across the aisle to kind of create new legislation i mean this is how new legislation gets made yeah. <laughs> turning around the prejudiced minds of southern republican congressmen yeah, exactly. one chihuahua at a time yeah, one, one gay, gay chihuahua, chihuahua at, at a time, time. <laughs> that's why i consistently release chihuahuas into the into the senate yeah exactly to see what might happen <laughs> <laughs> I change your minds i say as i open the gates <laughs> release the hounds open your minds like i open these cages full of chihuahuas chihuahuas. so do you happen to have a fix that's as good and compelling and long-winded as mine uh can you summarize your fix in a sentence yeah make enid a part of the resolution and make her a part of the girl gang Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, was that not clear? <laughs> no. Um, I think my fix would be make Warren a part of the girl gang. <laughs> Warren, become gay. Yeah. Uh, two, marry Kennedy gay. Yeah. Uh, three, join the girl gang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I do think that another very legitimate fix that we talked about before did have to do with the way that they treated the gay character. Um, the, the, you know, like the, the pool boy. But yeah, the pool boy was a weird one. It's like they, I felt like they took the lesbian really seriously, but the gay man they made into like this Yeah, he was a punchline. Yeah, which is interesting. That's a very I, It's because there were women writers who were like, women are being taken seriously. Yeah, and exactly. considered, I think that's really it. Yeah, yeah. They probably have a lot of queer female friends. That's the vibe I get from these writers. Yeah. And then they were like, we don't know men. Yeah, Goodbye. well, I've never <laughs> talked to a man in my life. So he's going to be a joke. Um, yeah, Warner <laughs> gets to be part of the go to them. Okay, what do you want us to take? from the screenplay for our courthouse drama oh for your courthouse drama chutney chutney has to be a key witness chutney has a key doing. yeah a character yeah. named chutney as a key witness probably an expert witness on a very myopic academic topic that is 
perfect. Oh yeah. my God, that's perfect. Um, what about you? Uh, my, my thing is going to be, I haven't thought about it cause I was just thinking about my fix. So give me one second as I consider, um, what I want to take for this courtroom drama. Um, Ooh, I do. Okay. This is just kind of a macro way. I think that this can fit into a screenplay really well. I want last minute inside of the courthouse to have, um, the, uh, the defending attorney, uh, be subbed out for a blonde. <laughs> Wait, so like L comes. So I would love in this movie, L usurps her attorney, the defending attorney goes, I'm fine with that. At which point they all turn around because someone says, well, I'm usurping you too. Yeah, and exactly. it's another young blonde A chain blonde woman. Of, use, of young blonde usurpers <laughs> of the defendant's seat. Both sides yeah. of the parties. The judge is usurped by a young blonde woman. Yeah, exactly. The victim and the defendant are usurped by young blonde women. Uh, yeah, I want there to be a lot of like <laughs> coups in our courtroom in which blonde mm-hmm. women sneak in and take over. And we're like, weren't you wasn't someone else juror number 10? And she's like, no, it's me now. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that woman, Brooke Wyndham, yeah. who's also a blonde woman in handcuffs? Yeah, exactly. And then a younger blonde woman's like, not that I remember. Not that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's me. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And then they could all be like, I thought it was you walking through the door <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I definitely, Chutney someone should say that. rules them all in the hive mind situation. Yes. I want blondes That's to take them. Yeah, you're right. Chutney yeah. rules the blondes in a hive mind. That's going to be in our final screenplay. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really good. Would make your script really unique and coherent. Hell yeah. Uh, Yeah. Fault you rule. Is there anything you want to plug and or say before we, we sign off tonight? I don't have any social media or any public projects. Yeah, you're right. So So the answer is no. Abolish ice. Hell yeah. That's actually very (laughs) legitimate. (laughs) Um, We love you. Thank you fault for coming on. It's ruled. Yeah. Thanks. Brood. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable saying that my am, but you can call them that. You don't like calling in the brood? I feel fully comfortable. It was my idea from the beginning. I don't know where you came up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no one told me this was happening. Um, yeah, but it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye.